Hello, welcome. This is Hospitality News and Views. I'm Raj Rundawa. And I'm Richard Majewski. So Richard, how's your week been? Hot. I think they're saying 30 degrees in West London tomorrow. So yeah, so about climate change. You know, it's climate change in, 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 in my house. And other than that, yeah, positive actually. It's been a good week, I think. I think it has been a good week. I think the it helps that, to be honest, England won. <laughs> it really does help. Uh, um, Raj, I think you've just jinxed the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell, I, I tell you something. I, I have family in Scotland, and I was talking to my niece, who obviously hasn't got a clue about what's going on with the Euros, because I said, you know, I told her about England playing Scotland soon, and England and the, the, about the, the various matches and things, and she didn't really know who was playing who and what. But when you said that Scotland was there for, after a long time, there was hope in her voice, and I really felt for the Scots yesterday when they lost. Um, Same um, here. What was it? Is it 24 years? I'm not sure. Yeah. I can't remember. It's about no, the worst thing, the worst thing, the schools actually brought TVs in to let the yeah. kids see the game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, at least right. get, uh, talk about pressure on that team. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That won't have done them the world of good. That, that's something where, you know, what were you doing when Scotland lost 2 0 at home? Yeah, it was that they'll, they'll remember that for the rest of their lives, of course. For the rest of their lives. And yeah, so uh, it's good that it's got underway. And obviously, um, you know, you can use items. Yeah. Well, I'm pleased that they that they arranged it in. Um, it is in Scotland. They're playing it. They're playing it. They're at Hampden. Yeah, I'm not too. I mean, next game's at Wembley, and I think their second game, their third game, is in Hampden as well. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah it, it's it's. I mean, it was great. So far, the matches in the main have been good. I've enjoyed them. I've enjoyed them. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the one um, this evening, Germany against France, that's for sure. I've been told I have to support Germany. So, <laughs> mm, so we'll see about that. Um, but yeah. You need uh, to take on the role of the devil's advocate, you know, just to sort of yeah, yeah, provide that right. alternative view. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't really serious when I jumped off the sofa <laughs> in, 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 in delight. <laughs> I was just trying to imagine what, what it must be like. Yeah, no, exactly. but it's, yeah, and, it's, and it has been a, a relatively good week. Obviously, the you know we uh, it's been hot, and I, I was trying to explain to somebody why it's why we are suffering in West London more than other people because it's hot everywhere, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean uh, Manchester. Yeah. Yesterday was real. real West London real. always has especially around you know, where we live, in, it's mm. always much hotter. Mm. I don't know what it is over the years. But well, I used, to, I used to attribute it to being in the flight path and, and the, um, the, the, the planes flying so low, but um, they're, they're not flying not, anymore. They're not they're flying not, that much, exactly. <laughs> so it could be the weather. Like that. And, obviously the, and obviously there's a bit of a crisis moment at the weekend, which I had, where um, I was told to go down to the local super, no, supermarket, Asda, and... As you do, you make your beeline straight to the blooming like where the ice lollies and ice creams are. Yeah. And my list had these ice creams on it, and none of them were there. <laughs> it's like, really? I came home with the stuff that nobody wanted. It's like, Dad, what have you done? Yeah, yeah, that's not good news. It's definitely yeah. not. You know, if Soleros weren't weren't available, then I was in trouble uh, <laughs> in this house. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's been, it's been gives them hot. a chance to taste some different ice creams for a change. 
Well, that's true. Like, yeah, you look at the positive side. That's right. No, but it has been, um, you know, a funny old week, really. Um, and it continues to be topsy-turvy, doesn't it? You know, not just with the weather and the changing changing of the weather, but, you know, the the lockdown and, and, mm. and that. And, well. That's right. I mean, there's a whole range of things. And obviously, the uh, it, it, it's quite strange because last week... There was. It seemed to be only two. There seemed to be only two main stories, really. One was what's going to happen with the uh, lockdown. The other one was the G7 and everybody coming in, and it, it kind of dominated everything, really. But one of the things that I, I sort of you know when I, I look at this stuff and I reflect on it, and you start thinking, well, you know, what are people try expect? What expect people's ex expectations? I suppose. I think. People, I think the G7. I don't know what people expected from it. I think they just expected people to just turn up and sort of say something. Not too sure what, but from a from a hospitality perspective and from a personal perspective, I was really hoping it was going to be a great weekend to show the south of England. And when it started and it was raining and it, or it got a bit, you know, it wasn't so uh, sunny, etc. And I thought, God, this could be one of those dreary occasions where. You have all these hopes put up about fantastic uh, weather and fantastic things, and it turns out to be a complete disaster. You know, it's like if you go down to Margate on the one day when it rains, yeah. it's horrible. <laughs> no, no, I mean it was it was they, they were very lucky, weren't they? Was the weather? I, I was. I think Boris he did a and he addressed the the the, the camera at least um, from the beach, and I was looking very closely at his hair to see if it was moving as you'd expected to on the beach, yeah. and I was convinced it was a green screen, but apparently it wasn't. I was waiting for someone to walk past, you know. But it was a fantastic beach and sea. I mean, yeah, it's say. fantastic, absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I think that one of the things that comes out of this stuff is that ultimately. What does it do for the area? I do hope that people around the world now don't just think of London, they think of Cornwall. Um, but we had customers, when I spoke to my customers down there, one in particular, she was saying, why couldn't they just come in October when it's not so busy? Yeah, and that was yeah. one thing that she, she, she would have loved to have seen. But I suppose ultimately these things, you know, the, the dates can't be driven like that. I think Cornwall, I know, is particularly uh, popular with 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 germans um and there is some there is a, a television program i don't know what it is it's not certainly not poldark but it's another one which is filmed down there and it's also shown in germany and they just love it really uh, yeah yeah I, I know i know that they i know that they've started filming uh a new series of game and game of thrones down there hmm. oh, yeah. wow. so that'll help as so, well i know I, you know there's so much filming going on around the UK. What, 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 we, what we all expected from it is a very good question, though, isn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, with my view on politicians these days, I'm not sure which, which is the parody, spitting image, or, or, or the actual politicians themselves. I think, I think that they are funnier than, than, than spitting image sometimes. I think they so, are. I think, that's I, I think that by transition, <laughs> they've kind of elevated themselves to the point of you can't really do the spitting image thing anymore. <laughs> well they tried didn't they i mean yeah they did come back, but you know yeah you do wonder but yeah some of those some, some of the things that are coming out of it 
you know, states and Australia and... and yeah, I, th I think it was, I mean, obviously the vaccine rollout and helping supporting vaccine rollouts and so on is really important. I mean, there's there's a lot, of, it's, it's quite strange because we get caught up in the headlines and, no, and not enough talk about the detail. One of the things that I think everybody was, everybody knows it's a bit crazy that on the one hand, you're talking about climate change and it's almost like each leader had to outdo the other one in terms of how they turned up. So, you know, each in their own aeroplane or helicopter or whatever. And it, <laughs> you do wonder why don't you just come to Heathrow, join up together and just go down together. Yeah, or get the, or get the um, you know, I think Paddington to I don't know where, but you well, know, the, the, yeah. the train, didn't she? Did she? Yeah, right. the, in fact, the Queen was probably the only person who took the climate into consideration when she was actually travelling. I mean, didn't wasn't there a photo shoot of Boris getting onto the plane? And and uh, you know, my wife said, "Did you see that?" And you know, why couldn't you? Why couldn't he have done a photo shoot getting onto a train? And it would have yeah, meant yeah. sent such a good message out. Especially know? at a time when people actually aren't getting onto trains, and you know. Mm. There's a there's all kinds of stuff. One of the things that kind of I was surprised by was that one. Yes, I understand that the American government has a protocol regarding security of the president and his wife. I mean, that's the first thing. I mean, you, you can understand the security requirements, but one of the things I did here was no, we aren't the United States of America. And what was said, and the reason that was said was they didn't just have the 13 or so big Hummers sort of protecting uh, the first lady. They actually had Marine One and Marine Two, their helicopters were over the place. One of the meetings I was told they were supposed to have, they couldn't have because they couldn't land a helicopter it's so, there because it's so big. And sometimes you just got to say, look, you know, you're in a friendly nation, in a front of friendly people. Okay, you don't need to go down to that sort of, you know, the nth degree of uh, security. Mm. Having said that, I can understand uh, with all the things that have been happening over the you know, last year or so in America, etc. They might not feel like that, but it is yeah. a bit of a strange one. And I think that on the one hand, you talk about climate change, on the other hand, you take that type of approach. Yeah, it it creates it it creates a. An argument that says, "Do you really know what you're talking about?" Yeah, I, I think it's very confusing. You know, the, when when they're doing things like that, um, bring. I mean, okay, the personnel. They, they arguably they might have needed them, but you know, the the mode of transport I think is was very important. They should have sent out a message to say that that, that you know the trains are good. I think Macron should have turned up in a sailboat. <laughs> he would totally. <laughs> Everybody else would have just sort of said, well, okay, you can't do better than that now, can you? The wind has got him here. That's right. I mean, that could even be possible on the Gulf Stream drift, couldn't it? You know, yeah, so it's only 20 miles. It's not like going along. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That would have been good. <laughs> I suppose it would have been somebody out there saying, well, why wasn't he in a rowboat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. No, but it's a funny one, and and what they were talking about as well with the you know the UK US corridor. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're looking at opening that up now. I think uh, the, the sort of dates handout was or talked about were August, and a lot of that comes down to money, doesn't it? I mean, it gives an idea of just how much money is at stake when they're talking the billions of pounds that are being lost just because that corridor is actually uh, unavailable yeah. in terms of travel. What's interesting is that British Airways actually make a huge amount of money from the flights between uh, the UK and the US as a delivery company. 
All right. I was That's actually shown photographs of their passenger aircraft where they've taken the seats out just right. so that they can have more cargo. Right. Interesting. So there's a lot of things going on there. There's a lot of money, at, and it's huge. It's huge amounts of money at stake. Yeah, I mean, when you when you say that, Raj, I wonder whether you know those long haul um, um, routes, whether they are more profitable than the short haul, and and I wonder whether with the advent of Brexit, whether they will reduce the um, the number of flights into in, into Europe, um, and therefore become a more profitable company. I don't know. I've just read, in fact, that. Um, Emirates have just announced a six billion dollar loss. First time, and it's huge. It's a huge loss when you think about this type of company they are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think all, all the airlines. It's quite strange. The question nobody wants to ask, it seems, is what is the model for a successful um, airline in a world where climate change has taken the priority. Yeah, I mean, Lufthansa as well have just announced some, I don't know, but good figures anyway. They're going to sell off their Air Plus credit card kind of division, I think it is. Um, but they, they're making health, they're making noises that, that you know, indicate that they're, they're healthy again. There, there, was a, there were a lot of changes there. So, I mean, it's positive and, and you yeah. know, we will, need, we will need the airlines. I think there's going to be more scrutiny of some of this stuff. I don't know if you know, but... Um... A friend of mine was working on the Terminal 3 analysis, and it was quite interesting what he came up with. I, it's, it's Because we don't read the reports, because nobody actually reads this stuff, there's thousands of pages of who reads it. For Terminal 3 to meet its climate change requirement, there was, there was an assumption that a very high proportion of people in London were going to get rid of their cars and replace them with electric cars. That was an underlying oh, assumption. So... If people in London decided we're not going to change it, you know, the electric car is just too expensive or I can't charge the blooming thing, I'm going to stick with my... As a result of that, they would, you know, they would not be able to meet their, um, the targets they were saying they could meet in terms of the pollution. I think actually it's not fair. If, you, if, your comp- if, a, country, if, a, com- if a company or a group, an organisation says we're going to meet this commitment, they should be able to do it on their own. Yeah, I mean, the congestion charge has certainly um, had a, a, an effect on, on us. And uh, if anybody wants to buy a an A6 Audi diesel, uh, it's going in October. <laughs> I tell you, say, I made the mistake of driving into, I don't know, I, I, I'm so sure I pressed the right button on the sat-nav. Because you know, on the sat-nav, you can say I want to stay out of the congestion charge. I was so sure I'd actually pressed the right button and the blooming thing took me through it. And it's a horrible cost. I think How much is that? It was £15. Pound, mm. and then I had to pay the surcharge for it. It was a diesel, wasn't it? So <laughs> I think it came to, it came to over £20. Pounds. I think it was £21 or £22. Pounds. It's just... Yeah. And the worst thing is, the surcharge, it, it was effective. There was no time when it wasn't in effect. So it was like 24 hours, whereas before, um, you know, you could say go in early in the morning, leave early late at night. Yeah. You can't even do that anymore. Mm. And you could have gone by tube, Raj. You could have gone by Go tube. <laughs> Where I wanted to go. Oh, I did look at the tube. I did look at the tube as an option. It was like, oh, to give you another idea of how crazy the journey would have been. I think, I think I, when I looked at it, I was looking at a round trip of about six hours by tube. Boy, and walking. Really? And yet in the car, I was looking at maximum two and a half hours round trip. And all I was doing was collecting something and bringing it home. Yeah, yeah. The first one sounds like our trip to the local Tesco's actually with all these 
um, with all these roadblocks. But yeah, yeah, it's you know. So I think climate change is gonna it, it it's gonna start dominating. Obviously, with COP twenty six happening in November and the government sort of bringing in. I mean, it's already brought. It's already said it's gonna do quite a few things well in advance to actually. Um, you know, the, a good example is the. Um, banning the sale of halogen lamps, uh, the light bulbs, which is really unfortunate because I've only just got used to them after all this time. Why? Why is? Why is that? Why are they doing that? I think I'm not. I think it's the production of them is such that mm. actually, and also the, getting rid of them is not easy either. I mean, so I thought they were low cost. I thought that they they are low cost, but the problem is they they, they want to move everybody to LED, which is the lowest of all costs. Oh, I see. Yeah, they want to get people onto LED lighting. Yeah, and I think yeah. the LED lights, you know, people forget they're blooming expensive. So who's going to, when you suddenly realise the cost of these things, you do need a government to come in and say, right, this is the rule. Because that's the only way you're going to get the uh, volumes and sales to allow the price to come down. And but, that kind of centralised savings, like I'm sure it's the same where, where you are as well, but around here, the, the street lights dim at 12 o'clock and it's kind of, I suppose, reduces the costs and also lets people sleep who've actually got their bedrooms with a lamp outside. Um, so, and I think that's good, you know. I tell you, say, I have got a bedroom with about three, or, it feels like three or four lamps outside and they don't dim. Do they not? They oh, don't yeah. dim. They only dim, well, actually, that's not true. They do dim about two or three in the morning. Do they? And I tell you, and, and the reason is that somebody um, had an accident outside my house. It was, uh, we live in a distant roundabout. They had yeah. an accident. And it's the most stupid accident I've ever come across, okay? Yeah. Um, and I think they've just decided it's a hot spot. <laughs> so as a result, the lights are on, you know, 24 hours, 24 by 7, effectively. It's really um, horrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, could be, though, that, yeah, sometimes they're needed, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. any excuse. I think the person just blamed the lights even is probably is half drunk at the time who knows you know but they've, been, they've declared it as a hot spot and yeah. the lights don't dim and it is it is horrible but yeah but going back I mean, to the going back to the uh, the climate one of the things that i thought was interesting news wise was that the w uh, the world travel tourism council have got together with the united nations on their environment program and they're trying to uh, map the use of single plastics within the travel and tourism uh, industries in an effort to then come up with a report that will actually highlight the use of single plastics and hopefully then give options to the industry to actually change their supply lines, change the way they do things and just move to alternatives. And I think with it, from, a travel, from a travel perspective and from a tourism perspective and hospitality perspective, everybody I think wants to be um, embracing the idea that we use recyclable things, yeah. But I came across um, I came across something that, I, to me personally, I'm not saying it's a problem, but I did it did did it did make me think twice. Obviously, we haven't been out for ages, and uh, the last time I went out, um, I decided, and this is about a week or so ago, I decided to because it was hot. I'd certainly go to Starbucks and get a, one of these um, frozen drinks. And they had a paper stroke cardboard blooming um, straw. It's not the same thing. <laughs> I was not amused. Uh, as opposed to the a plastic straw. As opposed straw, to yeah. a plastic one. And it's, oh, gosh. 
that yeah. reminds me of the old days when we had um in my age group at least had free milk at school and the and the the the, the, the paper straws would never would always kind of like just seize up and you could yeah you exactly know. exactly i think there should be a greater emphasis on yeah okay straws you have to do them but what's the point of having a paper straw or a cardboard straw a recyclable straw if the cup you're giving the drink in is all plastic is that right Gosh. yeah it's all it's clear plastic i said hold it what is the point what is the I'm point not. so i think that the i think the hospitality industry has got to make sure it doesn't fall into that kind of um horrible corner which is you get accused of just paying lip service to the whole thing yeah, that's right. Isn't it unfortunate? You know, there are always other other aspects. You know, of like I, I was thinking of all the bottles that need to be um, put into recycling when you're going through um, security for security reasons, yeah. um, and so balancing security, health, the economy, sustainability. You know, it's so difficult, isn't it? Everything. I think it's. I think it's going to be. I think the hospitality industry, all aspects of it, especially in hotel, in in the um, accommodation environment, I think there's a really significant need for someone to say, "This is how you do it. This is how you become a more sustainable company. This is how, in terms of the environment, and this is how you deal with." issues where maybe you don't know that about recycling enough or you don't, don't recycle sufficiently or you don't know what options are available it's almost like templates need to be available to all the uh, providers and i think they'll actually embrace it in the same way that we embrace health and safety health and safety to be honest it's a you just got you got a template you go by the template you do what you're told to do because it's easier yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to put a fire exit sign up. You don't sort of question it, do you? You just put it up. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's what's needed, I think, with the climate change side, because it's obviously a huge issue. I mean, I gave a, I gave a, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that I said to a friend of mine earlier this week. Actually, I was we were talking about Cornwall, and we were talking about climate change, and she was the one who actually highlighted that, you know, all, think about all the fuel that was used in bringing these leaders to the Cornwall. And I said, yeah, the problem is that sometimes people aren't close enough to the problem to understand really what climate change means. And I gave her an example. It's about, about 15, 16 years ago, back in India, my family still has a farm. And in that village, as in most villages, you know, not everybody has a well obviously, and they're for the homes. So you obviously have water pumps in the fields and stuff. But in the homes, you might have a water pump, but you also would have a well. And I was on holiday there. And while I was there, there was um, two brothers died. Okay, they died. And me being me, I asked why they died and wanted to know more. And they were actually, um, their, their, their trade was making wells. Right, so they'd actually dig wells in homes and so on, and where they were needed. Yeah, and they were digging a well in the, you know, ten years earlier. They were digging around twenty meters deep. They were digging down to almost a hundred meters, and the well collapsed while they were digging, and that's how wow. they died. It's a horrendous wow. death, truly horrendous death. But mm. the fact that they were having to dig so deep, and this is like 15, 16 years ago, in um, a place 
where water was plentiful. Really? Yeah. So that is, you know, and that to me is what people don't see. They don't hear that. Mm -hmm. This is the impact of climate change. You know, it really isn't, it isn't just about icebergs melting. It's about the fact that to get to water, it's now getting dangerous for some Yeah. Reason. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a dreadful, that's a dreadful um, uh, tragedy. Um, sorry, sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, like the, the generally that sort of climate change, um, this won't be a very popular thing for me to say, I'm sure, but backward engineer the entire world. So rather than saving coffee cups and recycling them and everything, how about we don't have a long haul anymore, you know, that that somebody can't can't holiday in Australia anymore, or if they do, they've got to hop three or four times to get over there. You know, there aren't these long haul trade, you know, yeah, we've, we've, we've just signed an agreement with Australia worth, I don't know how much, and the UK farmers are now very worried, but was that necessary to take, you know, New Zealand, well, it's Australia, not New Zealand, but, you know, cattle across the world or, or produce, all, all sorts of potential problems. So whether it's then business travel, do we need to trade, with, you know, that far? Shouldn't we really be trading with people closer to home and, and leisure travel? So stop all of those long haul flights and, you know, then... Probably Starbucks coffee cups won't be as important, but of course we're choking the fish, so we've got yes, to sort that right. and, and you know, the just taking on board what you just said, one of the things that people tend to forget is that there is actually another another element of this, and that is don't buy so much stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I hate to say, it, but don't buy so much stuff. I mean, the reality is, you know, if you buy less stuff, guess what? A lot of those things don't happen. I, I mean, talking about, you know, don't buy. And, you know, we, we've talked in, in previous um, uh, podcasts on um, the roadblocks in West London that have, with flower pots that have stopped, in, in theory, that stop you from using the car so much. So local government are stopping you from taking a car from A to B, but they're flying over to, they're flying down to Cornwall. They're having trade agreements with Australia and, and the United States, it's kind of like doesn't match, you know. So I think I think one of the things it's quite true. When we decided as a company to uh, go greener, it was actually uh, it wasn't an easy decision. Now we, we took the decision um, about three years ago now, yeah, about 2017, so about four years ago. So we so the question was how do we become greener, and one of the things that Obviously, a technology company, the big thing is how, how much do you have room in IT equipment? The, the electricity is burning is substantial. And we had our own cloud and there was lots of stuff that we were doing ourselves. Um, and it, it was a really arduous journey to become a company now that has totally, as I think we've really minimized our use of carbon. Okay. Um, and I know we can go further. I know we can, you know, recently um, I upgraded some of the laptops for some of the guys by giving them laptops that have that yield, that require less power. You can't get rid of the computer. Mm. Now, I can't ask the guys to start doing everything on pencil and paper. Mm. But the, we're kind of pushed about how much more we can do. You travel less, right? Okay, you travel less, but somebody's got to travel. Mm. Yeah, you mm. work from home. Okay, fine, you work from home. 
make sure you've got, you know, don't need the light on work when it's light. When you do need a light, put a low powered light on. But we, it was a really hard journey for us to go to a point where we could trust the technology. The reason we had the stuff in the first place, our own stuff, was because we didn't trust other people's technology. We, want, we didn't trust other people to maintain it properly, to care for it, and to do the right thing by, if it, go, if it breaks, what do you do? Okay, mm-hmm. so for us, it was a really tough journey. And you know what? It's still a tough journey for a lot of companies to actually, mm-hmm. because they, you, 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 being greener suddenly meant you had to accept that you're more dependent on some of the supplies than maybe you were in the past. Yeah. And you got and if and and then it comes down to the point of you know, well, who do you call if you've got a problem? Honestly, if you have a problem with Amazon, you've got no one to call. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah. therefore you've got to think about all of that kind of stuff. But once you get it all up and running and you do things in the right way, and we've taken the some people would say that we've taken the crazy route because we still have a hell of a lot of control over our environment, far more than most other companies. Uh, but that's because we now, we just want to know what will happen and we want to be in control of our destiny in that in technology wise. Mm-hmm. That journey is a really hard journey. And I think that if somebody had given me a roadmap to do it and had answered a lot of the questions that we were asking, then I would have found it easier. And maybe we would have made that decision a lot earlier even. Mm-hmm. And I think that hotels need to have that sort of roadmap. And that's why these templates of how you, I mean, for instance, a simple thing, you know, in the bathroom, you're going to have little plastic bottles with shampoo and all the rest of it. Mm. So what you know, what we're going to do? Not provide that anymore? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, two things really. There, when you meant when you refer to green, I, I passed a box in our hallway yesterday. Um, this box is green, and it made me look because it wasn't green at, at, at all. It was um, just normal colour. Um, and then you know, Clark shoes, I think it was, and. Um, yeah, what a marketing opportunity. It, you, all the companies out there should start calling their names according to colours, like, you know, orange is green and stuff like that. It would, I mean, doesn't it just make you look twice? But another thing, when you mentioned roadmap and what's happened this 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 week, in fact, yesterday, and it made me think of the, all the new words that have become common use, you know, pivot, furlough, roadmap. Yes. <laughs> like. But yeah, the roadmap. It's um, I think, what, what will be the you know every, every year Oxford University does this sort of most you know, a new word has come out. There's suddenly, I think furlough is one that no one's heard, really heard about until this until the pandemic came into place, and, and so on. So yeah, a language will change, and maybe language changing will actually mean that we can actually address some of the issues better than others you know, otherwise. Um, but yeah, it's the, the climate and its effect on um, hospitality. It's going to be interesting to see what the um, the travel council come up with the UN. I think single use plastics and what they do. I think it, because it's being done at the right level, people mm. will take it seriously in terms of the big brands. Mm. The issue is going to be what about the rest? Mm. You know, and that's why I think that the government should kind of or some organisations should come up with templates and say, look, even if you're a small provider. Okay, you can still do it. You can still implement policies that aren't going to suddenly hurt your business. But this is how you do it. And I think that you know sometimes the bigger picture we lose that level of detail. That's right. I mean another thing that that, that 
could well affect us is is the the vaccination passport, isn't it really? And yeah. that it's yeah. happened in the states in the states happened in the EU now. What 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 do you what do you think of that? Do you think it will come come to the UK? I think it's going to be quite difficult. First of all, it was interesting the way it's been implemented in the and sort of to great fanfare by the EU because it's so obvious they messed up with the vaccine rollout. It's always that they needed to sort of deflect from that and now start talking about something else. And yes, there's been reported reports of um, a lot more bookings, but only by percentage. And when they have low volumes anyway, has that really helped? I don't know. I hope it has. I hope it has. My own personal view is that um, I do agree with those who uh, feel that we shouldn't have a we shouldn't have a society where of haves and have nots. There will be people who cannot have the vaccine. We know that. We know that there will be people who have got health conditions. They can't have the vaccine. So what, are they never to go on, uh, on holiday? Are they never to go abroad? I think that it comes down to so many things and we have to be very careful about it. We have to be very careful about it. Maybe in the end, you know, is it an interim thing as well? Is it, or does it become permanent? And what about maintaining the data? Who's got that data? I don't know if you remember, but um, one of the things that was introduced by France last year was they had these forms filled out regarding were you positive, where we did have a COVID test or not. And you downloaded the form, or you, no, sorry, the idea was that you would go and get a test and you would be given a form. The forms were then made available on the internet. People downloaded them and just basically scrawled a signature and claimed that they were COVID negative. Okay, how do you how do you stop that? Who's going to maintain the data? We don't even know how long a vaccine lasts at the moment. No, um, I suppose we've got to start somewhere. Um, I, I kind of am in favour of it. I do I do take your point. Um, and I personally think that you know for for individuals, then it's down to the individual. Um, I think that for corporates, I think they have to. There has to be that kind of because we need to get business going again, and so. In order for them to travel, you know, for that to be safe and for everyone to feel safe, I think that my view is it, it should be a part of the um, contract of employment. I say that I say that openly and controversially because I'm sure that there are quite a lot of people that will disagree with I, me. I think I think there was a case recently where one of the um, I should have dug it out actually, but there was a case recently where one of the health authorities health authorities was insisting that its staff be vaccinated and there were some objections to it so i think that's gonna that's inevitable in certain in certain cases people will be told you have to have a vaccine and those people who for a good medical reason cannot have it how much do you want to bet they end up still being there but they can't do certain things okay i think that's natural but i think and and that's a, and you've bought into that when you've joined that company and you've hopefully that company's talked to you and worked with you but when you have like a, a government that just or a, in the case the eu is just bang this is the rule mm. i think that's a different thing there's no opt-in no opt-out there's no mechanism to they haven't come up with a mechanism about handling or they don't appear to have a mechanism about handling people who for medical reasons cannot actually take the vaccine I can understand people saying you have to have the vaccine if you can have it. I think not having a plan, not having a plan has never stopped us. So, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, then, but actually, there's another aspect to the vaccine stuff that's um, going to be is, is also. I think I don't. I don't think it's happened in the UK, and that is that the idea is really um, to get Britain into a into a place where 
COVID is now no different to a flu jab. You know, we don't have a, we don't have a vaccine to say you've had a flu jab, and yet it's an uh, annual requirement for a lot of people. So I yeah. think they're trying to get COVID to that state, and that, and that's what they should be trying to do. It should be how do you get your country to a state where it is COVID becomes just another flu virus. Which it will, won't it? I mean, exactly. you know, I look back in history and, you know, relatives have died from measles in the past and that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it will just become... Is it being rushed because is it being rushed because the hospitality industry is saying we need bookings? Yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, I wouldn't like to think of the number of people who've left hospitality. But on the other hand, when we talk about accommodation, the supply of accommodation... Yeah, we, do, we talk about the reduction of, over the months that people have um, closed properties. But I was reading earlier on a list of, of, of brands, of, of apart hotels, notably apart hotels, who are coming on stream. Um, so in Europe, smart, Smartments, iPartments, I, I Zoku, Flag. And then in the UK and Ireland, actually in Europe as well, uh, Lock and Stay City. So a phenomenal number of um, companies are, are really now ready to, to meet that demand. Yeah, and, and, there, and certainly uh, talking to my customers last year, I know a couple of them were looking for properties to expand at a time when everybody was saying it's contracting. They were actually looking at opportunities to expand. So, you know, that's a, that's a, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff when that happens. And I, but having said that, apart hotels and apart service departments, short-let business has been booming. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So the short-let business has been booming, and it, and it it continues to boom. And I think that the attitudes that have come from the pandemic about you know, wanting to be a bit more isolated, a bit more in control of your environment, that kind of lends itself to that product. And as a result, you know, we, hopefully we'll see a very a really sustained growth within the service department sector that will allow people to see it for the good sector that it actually is. Absolutely, yeah. But coming back to vaccines, I think there's one thing that the COVID passport or the vaccine passport is, is going to have an issue with, and that is that the events that are big events, let's say you go to Glastonbury or Silverstone or wherever. I mean, Silverstone, I was reading that on the final, that they have over 140,000 people attend that. 140,000 people attend that over that weekend. Can you imagine checking people's vaccine credentials i think the va- i think the vaccine passport has to be thought about as a, pra- a practical level H- how long will the queues at an airport become are the queues and if an airports don't deal with the sort of numbers that these big festivals do in a very short space of time i mean they oh, actually that's not true they do deal with big numbers but there they can gear up for it and they got lots of money to be spent to actually manage those things those events that you have that are just over a weekend or one day are those organisers going to be able to suddenly afford to put in the infrastructure to validate that all the people have been vaccinated? Mm. What will hoteliers have to do? If you're a normal hotel and vaccine passport is the norm, are you supposed to check that now? How do you check it? So I think, I think this is a, it's, it's a very, very sort of contentious issue because the, the, if the vaccine passport is solely there to let you into a country, are people going to be satisfied with that? I don't know. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I come in, I come down on the on on the side of the of the passport. How it's done would be figured out. I reckon o- over time. I, I think I, I don't know about 
many other countries out, um, out there with, in terms of the, um, the papers that people need to carry with them on the streets. But I think that Britain is particularly um, kind of liberal and relaxed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had to explain to somebody that we don't need to carry our driving licenses with us. And he just looked at me as though I was living on a different world. Forget about it. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you don't yeah. Carry, you know. And I think that comes down to the element of trust. It's a bit like, you know, the police don't, the police don't ask us for IDs because guess what? You know, if they need to show an ID, we take it to the police station and we've got seven days to produce it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes it so much simpler though, doesn't it? Like and in the COVID times as well, you know, um, in Germany, um, you know, they have actually, I forgot what the, what the, what the German word for it is, but um, basically enfor enforcement officers and they just walk around telling people to put their masks on. And if they don't, then they can ask for their, their ID. And, you know, they know exactly the person that, that, that's, that isn't. Um, I don't think Britain would ever allow that. I don't think the, I don't, I think the Conservative Party would never allow I can't see the Labour Party agreeing to it. And, and a lot of that's down to history, isn't it? It's a lot down to history and attitude. And the, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine having a, a change where people have got to carry any form of identification right now and not be trusted? The argument is, you know, you've got to trust people. I think, the, I think the country would prefer people to say, look, I'm not going to carry my ID, but I'm quite happy for you to have a CCTV camera, sort of to recognise who I am, but I'm not going to carry that piece of ID. And ironically, I think we've got more CCTVs TV anywhere, exactly. anywhere in Europe, certainly. Yeah. 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 So it, it is, uh, it is quite, quite a strange one. Identification is going to be a big thing. It's going to be a big thing. In fact, one of the things that we've been asked to do is, is, is help with the payments process. One of the biggest issues is actually trying to um, ensure you don't get chargebacks. Obviously, one, if you actually think about what's happened to the hospitality industry and many other industries, but more so within hospitality, is that the, the models of how you run your business have changed from a cash flow perspective, because there's always a balance between we'll give early bird rates and get money in a bit earlier, but those rates are fixed and those prices are fixed and they're non-refundable. And then you've got, um, you know, other, other deals which you pay a deposit or you might not pay until you arrive. So the issue with a lot of this stuff now is that how, how do you ensure that you don't get um, chargebacks? And the worst type of chargeback to have to deal with is where you know you've delivered the service, but they still don't, they don't still, the uh, credit card companies still don't believe you because the individual is saying, I, did, I never went. So identity is a big one. And we've been asked to do a lot of stuff on that. And it's quite interesting. There's so much that can be done. Taking people's ID, confirming the ID belongs to that individual is now a really simple thing to do technology-wise. I mean, it's just ridiculously easy. And yet there's a hesitancy to even be associated with the technology because it's got such a big brother implication. This is it, isn't it? Yeah, it's been abused by the actual authorities, that, you know, in the past. The, yeah. It wasn't, you were saying, I think, recently, were you not, that chargebacks to bank payments are, are yeah, also yeah. now. I mean, there's, there's a whole range of new legislation coming in. It's coming from the EU. The British government hasn't undone that EU legislation yet. So what happens within, in England, we have to see going forward. But at the moment, there's a whole raft of legislation that was passed through about giving greater power to uh, the consumer. And the power is now so significant 
the banks are in a very awkward position. They just have to give the money back. It's almost like they've got no option but to give the money back. And the only way that you can stop that from happening is to preempt it because the banks do need to inform you. You just got to make sure you're prepared to respond very, very quickly with the right documentation and the right level of information to stop them just taking the money out of your bank. And with some, obviously, with things like direct debits and so on, I mean, that's a lifetime thing. That's very hard to undo. You, you can protect yourselves, but most companies tend to assume it's all okay. And then when they get burnt, they've got no, they literally do get burnt very badly. So they don't yeah. take the preemptive um, tasks. And we do get involved with that stuff, but it's trying to get across to people that actually um, you should have these processes in place. The issue is really when you're in an environment as we are at the moment, which is really quite stressful, people will take bookings and then worry about the problem afterwards. Hmm. So they'll, they'll take the booking, they'll take the business, even though it's not secured and they don't know if it's going to be create a problem for them, they'll still say yes. And that pressure to say yes then creates a problem later on. Mm. It sounds like it's going to be a heyday for the insurance companies because, I mean, it sounds like that might be the only way to, to cover yourself. Um, if the insurance banks companies will never cover you for stuff like that. I can tell you that well, now. No, really? No, no, no. There's, there's, um, if they do, I guarantee you they have plenty of little terms and conditions in their terms and conditions that give them a way out insurance companies do lots of good things but they're not good but there's an element of they'll turn around and say well that's stupid why you know why have you let something like that happen because if somebody's been to your premise and you you can't prove it what does that say about you as an organization no you know and, and that's and and the problem is you know fewer meet and greets fewer uh, processes around securing the money properly fewer processes around doing the check-ins properly and the checkouts properly and monitoring what's going all that stuff is leading it to the question of how do you ask the question but if you if you can't prove they were there what do you expect us to do i think i think we've just gone 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 around back to um ids haven't we yeah we, actually we have we have in that sense in that sense we have but again the id we don't you know um what i would say about the id and again this is what i was um wanted to really highlight you can actually do a lot of this stuff without having to take a copy of the person's id a lot right. of stuff can be done without storing it on your systems a lot of it can be done in such a way that you can say look the id was checked and even though we don't have the id that process is so thorough it's a bit like e-sign when you do an e-sign you should get a third party to manage that e-sign process so that you can say look that if that third party is happy that means it's correct and that's why e-sign is so good now E-sign, you know, and that's why you know the big companies are using e-sign to do really big deals from a yeah. consumer perspective because the process is right. And I think that hospitality, unfortunately, tends to be a bit slow on the uptake of the new technologies, and and because of that, they actually kind of suffer. And the worst thing is in the UK. I can't speak for other other countries because I don't know the laws well enough. But in the UK, we have had laws that have allowed hoteliers exemptions in terms of handling money you know, that don't apply to other industries. So a good example is the hospitality, the hospitality Act allows the hotels to take money in advance and or to not return it. Right. Right. So, so, and that's been going on for over 200 years or 150 years or whatever. It goes back to the blooming taverns when you had the you know, people on coaches. It goes back to those times. And the, and the law is still in place? The legislation yeah, yeah, the hospitality is still... Act is still there. Why do you think the Hospitality Act is allowed pre-auth? 
Hospitality, you can't do pre-offs in your local retailer or wherever. Oh, you have to be a hotel. You have to be registered as a hospitality style company to do a pre-offs. It's because of those laws. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, mm. you know, so I think that too many people don't realise that these things are available. They don't handle the things properly. And then they get, and then they wonder, wonder why you know, we're losing money. It's, it's almost certainly because they haven't thought it through. Interesting. So that's an that's argument in itself to move into the hospitality sector. <laughs> isn't it? That's right. And the technology-wise, I mean, maybe you know, when the corporate sector, we you know we talk about doing, you know, they should travel less because less need to be face-to-face. You could argue that technology should enable these things. Technology can enable a lot of good things. And I think that technology in the way it has to enable people to actually even take a holiday, handle the day-to-day stuff and all the rest of it. Hospitality is just a bit bit far back really you know when you look at other you look at other industries you look at some of this stuff it's been around there for decades some of this stuff i mean 100 percent. and i remember a couple of years ago actually uh, something i was doing on digital marketing and um the illustrated how retail was so so far ahead of of um, hospitality and that you know if you buy a certain uh, washing up liquid let's say at a certain supermarket You'll get vouchers for the washing up liquid and you won't get vouchers for a golf weekend. Whereas you stay in a hotel chain, you might not play golf, but you, you get irrelevant offers. Um, yeah, so right. even that kind of thing that, you know, we, we need to know, we need to be more in sync with, with, with the clients. Yeah, that's, that's I think sure. one of the things that's really um, needed and, and you see it in other industries and in some respects, it's almost alluded to when you, people talk about you know, customer focus groups and so on. Know your customer. You know, in the financial, in the financial services, uh, they have a KYC process. Know your customer. They, they need to do it in order to stop the you know, fraud and money laundering and all that kind of stuff. So know your customer. It doesn't mean to say you, you're doing it because you're going to, um, you think the person's going to commit a fraud. Obviously, we have an anti-fraud system. That's the reason we do some of this stuff. But know your customer should mean you should actually just, appreciate one one is appreciate that they are unique i'm a great believer in every human being is unique so therefore if they're unique what no what can you say about them that makes them unique and this other thing is if you do know your customer chances are you then get to know the family you get to know their friends in the sense that you can put forward offers that they will find worthwhile handing on to other people in their circle Mm. i'll give you an example i'll give an example of know your customer from that perspective it goes back many years um, there was a, I think it was either Singer or one of their competitors, you know, these people who actually make sewing machines. Yeah. Okay. And their sales were dropping really badly. And, and everyone was blaming the internet. They said, because of the internet, our sales are dropping. Okay. And one of their sales guys came up with the most stupid idea. It was so stupid that even the management said, this is a stupid idea. And because he was quite forthright and gave it a bit of a push and believed in it they ended up actually doing it they actually decided to trial his idea and his idea was buy one get one free put the price up put the price up slightly or to, to a certain level maybe 25 percent or whatever but buy one get one free on sewing machines mm. on, on on i mean think about it on sewing machines whoever buys a sewing machine if you do buy one do you really need a second one Okay, yeah. turned out to be a massive boost in sales. And the reason it turned out to be a massive boost in sales is that what that sales guy understood 
was that people had sewing clubs, they had crochet clubs, and they would actually get together to get that mm. free machine. Mm. I love those stories. Well, is it from the 1960s, maybe, or something, is it? No, this is, no, the, I'm talking about 1990s. This is, oh, really? Tail end 1990s, early 2000s. Wow. Because the internet was actually seen as a threat to the business. Yeah. Yeah, and they really? came out to buy one, get one free. It's fantastic. And yeah. that can apply to so many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And know your oh. customers. And I'll give you another example of know your customer that I came across uh, last year, actually. I thought it was quite a funny one. So actually, was, it was, this is sort of January last year, so, so you know, just before the pandemic. We were looking at changing our car, right? So um, we went down to, it was, it was Mercedes. We went down to have a look at them and... Um, and while I was sitting there uh, with, the, with uh, the guy who's a sales guy, who's looking at some paperwork and all the rest of it, and we just sat in, I was sitting there just chatting to him, really. And there was a salesman behind me who was having to deal with a family. Okay. And they were talking and talking and talking about this Mercedes that they were interested in. And I noticed it was the kids who were doing the talking, even though the mum and dad were there. And then I, I sort of looked over my shoulder and I could see the dad was just basically being beaten to, he was just worrying about what the hell is the cost of this vehicle going to be, but didn't say anything. Right. Mm-hmm. It was so obvious that he was sort of just looking at it. And he was looking at it in terms of no, but he couldn't say it. And the kids were saying, yo, we have this, 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 all this sort of stuff. And, I, and, I, and after they sort of know, went out to look at one of the cars, I asked the sales guy who's looking after me, I said, how many times do the kids make the decision on buying a car? He said every time. Yeah, it's an interesting one, really. Um, a couple of stories that, that, that I've heard from some of the some of the um, taped taped courses that I've that I've listened to in the past, but uh, on car sales, and they were talking about, and again, it's, it comes back to the know your customer um, thing. Um, you can you can read all the stats on a, on cars and you know all the facts and figures, but it's quite an at the end of the day, and it ties in with with the kids thing as well. It's quite an emotional purchase, and there are other there are other things we buy that are emotional as well. And the question was, will that purchase be based on the facts and figures, or will it be based on what you think your neighbours will feel when they look through the curtains at your new car? Um, and so uh, another one was um, fish sales in in, this, in a department store in Boston, I'm afraid. So it's not a UK uh, story, but they were the biggest seller of fish in Boston. And, and an old lady said, uh, you know, that she never buys her fish there because it's, it's not fresh. You know, she was, it's, in fact, it was boxed pretty fast, put in ice and, and sold. She was expecting it just to be on slabs of ice. So they um, they did the slabs of ice fish as well, and they doubled their sales. The already the biggest seller of fish in Boston doubled their sales. Wow. So yeah, yeah, there are some. It's a, you know, we think we we think we know our customers, but yeah, we don't we don't quite know. It's, I, I think hospitality really struggles with that. It really does. And you know, just what you're saying there. Think about Tesco. Think about Asda. If they have a bakery, where do they place it? near the entrance and what the smell of the bread to sort of walk through and encourage you to come in and stay in sort of thing you know and, and the reality is that's how it, that's how they actually design their stores and i'm not saying that we put bakeries in uh hotels or whatever but 
we can learn to make the place a bit more inviting in such a way that it draws people in. The issue is then, what do you do with the people? I think one of the things that's happening in hospitality, and, and here I'm talking hotels and service departments, people are, their approach to the business model is they want to know what the person is going to be doing before they arrive. Okay, So therefore, uh, pre-booking is, all, is, is going to be the, the really big thing now, isn't it? It's going to be pre-books, pre-booking uh, accommodation. In terms of restaurants and so on, same thing. How many people want walk-ins right now? I'm sure that some restaurants will be desperate for walk-ins, but a hell of a lot of them are probably doing quite well now because people are pre-booking. And when they pre-book, next thing you know, they're going to be saying, look, here's our menu for that day. Why don't you tell us what you want as a starter? We'll have it ready for you quicker. So as a result, know your customer it becomes a different sort of thing. It, you know, it, it, really, it, it changes. Because it's like we need to almost advance notice. We're not trying to invite new customers in. We're just trying to get a, let let, uh, let um, new customers come from word of mouth, maybe. But the way we deal with the customer requires a better way of actually understanding what will actually make their moment with you special. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in a people, person um, sector, aren't we, really? So I'd, I'd like at least to think that if anybody is emotionally emotionally attached to the clients it's people in hospitality um and therefore we should be kind of better uh, we should be able to better understand perhaps our, our clients when you were when you were speaking then it made me think really of weddings and the situation there though and and whether there will be whether it's in fact legally possible in in this country but just walk walk in weddings drive through weddings you know like in las vegas well it's so frustrating they're putting the weddings off time and time again and and just say okay we'll have a party afterwards but let's just go to the drive-in drive-through wedding place and get get it done and um you know and then and then move on and have your celebrations afterwards i don't know really but I, I, i think there will be an element um society from a society perspective of multiple a, a journey having accepted you've got multiple steps and therefore yeah maybe with a wedding you have you know, a smaller wedding first and then you have your celebration a month later or weeks later or whenever but when you start thinking the way i look at it with hospitality as um and especially with hotels i think more so with hotels is when they're going to start opening up their restaurants i mean uh, a lot of the way the hotels operate if you actually think about it, they, they want people to spend money there. The accommodation is almost like not the thing that they're really into. So therefore, when will the bars be open? When can we start charging a fortune for the blooming little bottle of whiskey you've taken out of the fridge and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So um, knowing the customer, it, yeah. it's going to be from that perspective they're going to want to do it. Whereas look at service departments, looks at maybe even hostels and others, uh, types mm-hmm. of uh, accommodation. Um, know your customer is more about the experience that you can actually, or they, they can get from being at your place rather than somebody else's. I mean, <clears throat> I think we've got to get used to a lot of changes. At the beginning of COVID, they, we were warned that, there were, that it'll be a different world. And I couldn't quite accept that and, and, and imagine it, but it will be a different world when we're, when we're coming out. And I'm, 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 wondering, I'm wondering whether the hologram industry is 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 the future we'll kind of like have business business meetings as hologram individual even go on holiday it'll save me a fortune go on the beach as a hologram you know well, what you're about to say the hologram is going to do the meet and greet 
<laughs> well, you can do that as well. If it, if it, but yeah, take it further. Don't get, don't bother getting on a plane. Actually, have a hologram holiday. Hologram holiday. We've already. I'm going to register that as a domain name. <laughs> Virtual world. Yeah, yeah. In some respects, those countries that open up quicker, and hopefully now that the 19th has been chosen for the you know, 19th of July, hopefully it doesn't yeah. get further than that. I mean, that would be awful. <laughs> But once you get past it and you get started getting back to whatever the normal is at the time, hopefully that will set a template for other parts of the world. I have a, a view that normal is not going to be normal as it was pre-pandemic. I think it's going to be normal as it is now. And that means that you know, whatever restrictions are in place, and there will be some restrictions in place, don't, don't fight against it. Work out how to work with it and actually, as a business, work out how to operate in a way that you don't people don't feel threatened when they work on you know, when they come onto your premises and yeah, that, I mean, that change of attitude i think is going to be required and when we start doing things in the uk and other countries start and in europe and you know, united states then the rest of the world will almost sort of take a look at that and they'll start doing that and that will become the new normal it will become normal to almost suddenly say right okay carry a mask around with you don't have to wear it all the time but there might be times when you do need to use it there might be a, the, the, the social distancing element, queuing for a table. All of a sudden, you won't be staying shoulder to shoulder. You have a few steps between each other. That yeah. will become normal. And, you know, um, it doesn't mean to say you can't have a conversation. It doesn't mean to say you can't just uh, enjoy the moment. But it's just that becomes a new normal. Being packed yeah. in sardines would be seen as not being part of the new normal. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I know, I, I, I agree there will be people that won't, won't agree though and there will be people who take exception to the fact that you want to, them to stay two meters apart we do need to live it to to encourage a society where there is respect for more respect for other people's feelings about this uh, and i don't know maybe colored badges you know the reds and the greens or something like that i, I, I saw a poll recently um survey and Currently, and it was in, in a business forum, they reckon that 25% or 25% of these people were, did not feel comfortable returning to shaking hands. And I never even wow. thought of that. Yeah. yeah. I thought, well, you know, I've got some hand sanitizer in my pocket. I'll, I'll use that, you know, um, or wear, wear gloves. I'm amazed. 25%? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is interesting. That is really interesting because that, Straight away, that kind of says doesn't matter how many how many vaccines you've had, you don't trust the environment. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was shocked. Um, you know, and so I'll probably I'll be you know it'll be like Michael Jackson. I walk around with a white glove on my right hand. <laughs> um, no, but I think but, the attitudes are going to be set soon, and and it's gonna you know who knows when universities open up in September. Okay, so the government, I think. In, England, in Wales this week, they've actually said that all um, adults can now be vaccinated. So the age group now has been reduced to 18, which is great. In England, I think it's next week. So at the end of next week, they're gonna, anybody, it doesn't matter what age you are, if you're over 18, you can get vaccinated and you can start, you know, and, and it's great, it's great. When, people, when, when students go back to university, university actually sets certain things that you just become accustomed to, okay? You know, it's a bit like when you're in digs, isn't it? You, 
at university, you just assume that that's how it is everywhere. <laughs> you just sort of live with it. If people are actually not going to be meeting close, not going to be having the sort of university sort of lifestyles that they had two years ago, and that become and the new lifestyles are acceptable and become the norm, guess what? Maybe shaking hands won't, won't be seen as a, a normal greeting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, from from my own kind of um, exposure to student life currently, I would like to think that that everybody is having the same experiences that I'm actually observing. That, you know, they're, they're, the students are having a great time. Um, ones that I know that they're testing every other day. You know, just to make sure uh, to maintain a certain safety around them. Yeah. And I think it's really, really good. Um, I got to of... my second vaccination last week. Yeah. It's quite an interesting thing because it was a walk-in and it was really weird. Um, it was almost like uh, my daughter was getting worried about not getting vaccinated. And I said, don't worry. When your time comes, it will come. And then uh, I, I was talking to the GP and he said, look, right, there's a, you know, there's a place here. They're open tomorrow. Just go down there and get your vaccine. So I took her down. She got vaccinated with her first jab. And while I was down there, they said, look, why don't you have your second? I said, okay, fair enough, I'll have it. And while I was sitting there, while I was sitting there waiting for my jab, there was a guy next to me who was a visitor to the UK. And he, the way he was worried, he, would, he, would he get his jab or not? He was actually worried about it. And the people said, don't worry, we're going to give you a jab. And he had this form to fill out and he couldn't fill out any of the things. He's, he's from a, outside the UK. He couldn't put any down in the GP. So, you know, straight, he didn't have an NHS number, didn't have some of the basic stuff that you'd expect. And they said, no, don't worry, we're going to give you your jab. And I thought that was great. And I think that's that kind of approach taken with all the people will actually start letting people know that you can be in a more trusting environment. Once you're in a trusting environment and you know that people, you know, this is why this vaccine passport thing, I don't want people going around personally saying, have you been vaccinated? Show me your passport. I don't believe you. Okay. Once you've got a trusting environment that everyone has been uh, shown some social responsibility and got vaccinated, because that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Social responsibility. Then I think that things will change. The issue is, about, is the issue around the handshaking. I mean, that is just like, yeah, not doing yeah. a handshake when they, what does that say i know well already you know people come to the into the house you know they don't expect a handshake it was you know some people well yeah yeah there was that elbow kind of thing wasn't yeah. there or or like you say with the fists um but it's no doesn't any it no longer feels rude and it's no longer second nature for me at least to reach out my hand um right. Whereas it was really weird to begin with, I just couldn't stop it. But unfortunately, then there are the people, those people who similar have a similar feeling about hugs, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, you're right, you're right. And I think the attitudes that uh, people come away with will they change later? A lot will come down to how much you trust the environment. I think it really will come down to that. I think there's so many things that we we don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. When I look at other countries, for instance, and how they're handling the vaccine rollouts and what and the issues they're having and all that kind of stuff, some of that stuff doesn't feed us through to the to the UK because we tend not to. I, th I think we've got to a point now. Just get it over and done with. Just get it over and done with, isn't it? You know, mm. we, we're, we're very fortunate in that the issue is more about worry about rising infections rather than high death rates our whole focus has changed quite a bit it's changed quite a bit whereas in other countries they still don't deal with this kind of stuff the attitudes that come out of that um, are quite interesting i mean 
I was talking to uh, our neighbours who were saying that three, four months ago, and they come from, Sing uh, not Singapore, it's um, Kerala in, in the south of uh, India. Three, four months ago, no one was willing to be vaccinated. Now they're desperate to get vaccinated. Yeah. Attitude has suddenly changed. Yep. So yeah. Once people have got into a comfort zone, I think that will then reflect itself through the things. And the, and the handshake, you know, I mean, that is a, I think that's actually quite a big deal. 25%, I think that's actually quite a big, because that, what about the other 75? Are they going to reach out their hands and not be, and not? Well, this is the thing. <clears throat> I mean, I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to search YouTube, see if there are any videos on, on some kind of a martial arts move <laughs> against handshakes, handshakes and hugs. And I reckon you could move quite niftily into an arm lock. Um, you know, <laughs> do it with Kung Fu. You <laughs> have them flying past you. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's the answer. You know what? Yeah, you, you, you know how people avoid the handshake? They put their hands in their pockets. Yeah. 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 You know, that, that's basically what happens, isn't it? So it's it's almost like we've got to end up with a society where everybody keeps their hands in their pockets. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's regrettable, but perhaps it's necessary because, yeah, you never really know, do you? I mean, if there's one way, oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it travels through the air. So a handshake and, and sanitize your hands. Even the most paranoid person on this in this universe, that's me, I think, according to the internet. Well, handshakes. I'm going to finish up with the last topic that came up. Unemployment in London seems to be uh, skewed in the sense that or the, or the news from April, uh, January to April was that the UK com uh, economy is recovering. It had a very good recovery rate in sort of February and March. Figures last week or this week were saying that the unemployment rate is going down. I think it's about 4.3% at the moment. And yet we're seeing that in London, the unemployment rate is becoming a problem. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, 6%, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it is, it's, it's, what do you make of that one? Um, who who are, are they coming off furlough and uh, going straight, you know, into the unemployment figures? Um, is it simply because, of the num large number of people we were talking earlier on about numbers versus percentages and how it kind of sometimes is difficult to interpret percentages, but are there just such a large number of people in London that, and it's still percentages, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, there were certainly, I, would, I would think it's fair to say with this whole Brexit kind of development as well and national, other than UK nationals, perhaps returning home, were showing perhaps as unemployed, but they really aren't seeking employment. It seems very strange because the last few weeks and almost the last month, there's been almost like a constant stream of messaging from, especially the hospitality industry, that there are lots of vacancies. Yeah, it's been it's been a constant theme that they actually cannot find people. That's a really Good point. I wonder if they're coming out of hospitality but don't want to return. Yeah, that's also possible. One of the things that struck me about the figure of 6% with London, and because obviously that's very strange that London has actually got a much higher level of unemployment than uh, other parts of the UK. I think it's a, I think it may well be um, part of it's to do with hospitality or part of it's to do with the fact that uh, high streets have suffered so much. You know, the high, street, uh, the high streets and the city of London, there was... Uh, the, 
one of the things that I do remember from last year was there was a guy, he built up a, a chain of card shops across London. His family, I mean, think about it, a whole family has built up a chain of uh, eight or nine shops right across London selling cards and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And his business basically was on the verge of going bust because footfall went down to zero. Mm. Footfall went down to zero. And I still remember seeing him sort of uh, on the news begging people to at least go out. And the problem was he was seeing a brick wall because who was going to go out when people were worried about COVID? Okay, so mm. it's, a, it's a double-edged sword in that sense. So I think the unemployment rate of 6% is worrying that at a time when we're seeing unemployment go down in other parts of the country, it hasn't gone down in London. Could it be, uh, you know, it's me on in basic stat, basic economic stats, but could it be people returning to London that it's a positive thing that people are returning to London to seek employment because they can they see the economy could be you know and coming back to you know, possible uh, I mean the, the, it, yeah it's possible I mean it could be that people who are employable have actually moved out of London and as a result businesses if they're not gonna if we talked about furlough and all the rest of it but if people are actually moving to places where they're more they prefer to live I mean, no doubt the pandemic has shifted people's opinions of where they want to live now. You know, this is big thing about with uh, houses. People prefer to have houses with slightly bigger rooms and maybe you know, more space. And that's what they because they, they they just have have suddenly realised that their accommodation is a cardboard box. You know, it, we used to joke about the fact that people would pay anything for a cardboard box type uh, premise in uh, London. Now they've suddenly realised it is a cardboard box. I don't want to be there anymore. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, absolutely, it may be an element of you know. Uh, so as a result, businesses might be suffering. Yes, there's unemployment. You can't find the right people for the vacancies you have. Could be a lot of things. But but it is it is surprising. Six percent is quite surprising. And I think that, I mean, where we are in Brentford, it's actually unemployment has always been an issue there. You know, because ever since the manufacturing went and all the rest of it, we've always had issues there. So how into hospitality to be really interesting because the hotels still haven't got to where they should be and maybe that's also part of it because hospitality is a massive part of the uk economy or the london economy and maybe this is a sign that yeah you know, the, the, the economy now is starting to hit a brick wall in terms of if those businesses don't open up can't get up to certain levels of business the furlough scheme is not enough yeah yeah and, you know, even 6%, though, you know, I know that it carries with it the the, the personal um, hardships, so I don't mean to in any way um, underplay that. But 6%, I mean, was it in the eight, early 80s? It was 10%. You know, what was that What was that band that sang about one in 10? I've forgotten now, from Birmingham. Oh, but, um, um, yeah, I know who you mean. I know who you mean. I know. Yeah. So... Um, you know, it's it's bad, but we've UB been through 40, one heck of a time. I think was it UB? Sorry, 40, was it UB forty? Yes, UB forty, UB 40 which uh, which actually has its own employment. <laughs> yeah, has its own <laughs> as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. So six percent. I mean, it's a very high number. It's a very high number when you start thinking it like that. It's a very high number, and I think that it's going to be. You know, the mayor is now trying to push the hospitality. You know, he's trying to sort of you know, get a hospitality up and running. To be honest, I haven't seen anything and doing anything other than a couple of photo shop, uh, photo opportunities on the news. I've not seen anything really from the mayor. Um, but the 
but what mm. the what the local governments are going to do to get around this is not going to be easy because how do you get people to go to high streets where the shops are closed there aren't any shops there yeah i think it'll be a reshaping of the world won't it yeah um yeah. and some of those stores have simply closed the the shops that they've bought well is top shop is it are they ever going to reopen was that no, one no, 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 i mean the, the big one was obviously debenhams wasn't it when debenhams, debenhams yeah, that's, that's right big one but there's, there's been lots of others and it's it is it is something that um hospitality may well end up having to play a significant part in regenerating the actual high streets and not yeah. just from a pubs and clubs and restaurants perspective even in terms of hospitality i'll give you something very strange it's very strange i went down to stains a few weeks ago and there's a premier inn right next to the blooming they've got a premier inn i think it's a premier inn it's quite a big one in stains high street okay or in the area mm. that the shops are that i thought i thought yeah you know Maybe we're going to, and there was a time when people would sort of not build their hotels there. Mm-hmm. In Staines or in the high Staines. street? It's, it's actually uh, in, in the main uh, sort of um, centre, in the main shopping centre. It's right on right. the corner of it. It's a massive blooming hotel. I wonder if they've just taken advantage of the fact that... No, this that... started a long time ago. It was started, they started building it a year or more ago. Okay. Oh. I think it opened... Uh, a year or so ago, a year and a half ago. So it opened just before the pandemic, but then it, and maybe they thought, oh, it's a reviving, the scenario's arrived. But actually when I think about it, I think, okay, how are you gonna revive a high street? You, you can't base it on just the locals now. No. You know, you, you, if you base it on the locals, well, why, you know, I think I think that's gonna be quite short term. I, I think there may be one of these things where, right, you need to, the hospitality, you need the local theatre, and all those kind of things come back into the high street. You know, when we were at, when I, when I, when I think we did some stuff there, we used to have these things on the weekend where uh, in the areas of the, the blocks that we had, we would have concerts, not just for the people who, it was aimed at actually trying to give a warm atmosphere in a dead area, because in the weekend, the city is dead, isn't it? So we used to have these little concerts on the weekend to make people feel that they were still in a nice vibrant area. Otherwise they only see people on Monday to Friday. Okay. Uh, and maybe that's something that hospitality can get involved with. Hotels tend to have lobbies, tend to, you know, they can sort of do things that other organizations can't do. Well, that's right. I think flexibility and, and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and repurposing of buildings will be a thing of the future where <clears throat> we won't have a department store that's there for decades. Um, it, w- it will change according to society and, and what, what's, what's demanded and what's possible. It will be you know, very interesting, uh, interesting for the people who have the energy to keep, keep up, up with, with it. Changes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. OK, thanks a lot. I just want to say thank you. thank you to all the listeners for listening to Hospitality News and Views. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.